Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this episode, I'm bringing back a previous guest, someone who is actually quite funny. So I'm hoping that this chat is going to feel engaging rather than too heavy because the topic is heavy. Toxic environments at work, the corporate ladder, the pressures that women are under to work 12, 14 hour days, possibly whilst also juggling children. This idea that I cannot set a boundary at work. I cannot say no to this piece of work or I'll get fired. Is that real? Is it imagined? Is it a bit of both? And will these corporate cultures change? Is it shifting? Now that we're talking about mental health champions in the workplace and we're doing mental health first aid training, is it changing? So I'm really asking a bunch of deep questions today. This was intended to be just a few short videos for my Burn Bright community, but we turned it into actually quite a long podcast simply because these questions are so deep. And I get so many questions from women wanting my help to figure out, do I stay or do I leave? When is enough enough? And how is this impacting your self-esteem? Maybe eroding your sense of worth if you are in an environment where you feel it's not safe to set a boundary or not safe to say no to more work despite being on your knees, utterly depleted and maybe close to burnout. So I'm hoping that you're going to find yourself able to listen to the end of the episode. Maybe split it up in two parts if it's too much in one go. If you are a corporate woman considering whether you will stay or leave in your setup at the moment, this is for you. Also, if you are an entrepreneur who's come from a corporate background, even if that's like myself in the NHS, or you come from a teaching background, or you've been in finance or law, whatever it might be, listen to this because you might be inadvertently bringing that toxic environment with you even into your self-employment. So let's dive in and talk more about this with Fiona Kearns. Fiona Kearns is a business psychologist who helps people get rid of self-doubt, own their skill set, and feel confident about playing huge in life and work. She is experienced in the IT, telecom, and nonprofit worlds. Fiona is a member of the Association for Business Psychology and the author of How to Increase Your Confidence. She specializes in helping leaders fulfill their potential in business and loves the thrill of helping clients manage their imposter syndrome to become confident, visible, and more impactful. You'll find her under Kearns Consultancy. So welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Fiona. It will be so much fun to have you over again. Um, and we're diving back into toxic environments. And I don't know why I'm laughing when I say that, because there's nothing funny about it. But I'm laughing because you're lots of fun. So I'm hoping that anyone who's listening will feel like they won't be deterred by this actually quite heavy topic, but more realizing that you're going to be tuning into two experts around burnout and toxic environments and just think about us 
knowing that we don't have all the answers, but we're going to sit here and brainstorm some ideas um, around whether we stay in these environments. Maybe we try to find ways of changing them from within. Maybe we'll change our own selves from within. Uh, or maybe we think about voting with our feet and we leave. And how do we know the difference? So welcome back again. And I'm hoping it's going to be just a really interesting, innovative chat. It's fantastic to be back, Michaela. I love this topic. And yes, it's a tough topic and it's difficult when you're in it. But maybe us making kind of lighthearted jokes about it is something that people can take from it. There is a way out of those very difficult situations. And I think one of the challenges of those situations is feeling there's no way out and maybe you can never get back to your fun self or or the self that had more to offer more broadly than in work. You, your world can get very, very small when you're in very, very difficult situations like that. So there is life after that. There is a way out. You can have fun again. You can reclaim your life. That's a super message. I think I would like to share. And if that's all you listen to in this session, I'm going to give your permission to go off now. But if you want to stay for real practical, good stuff and other things that you can do, stay. Because yeah, Michaela and I, we're great fun. We are indeed great fun. And I'm hoping that that's uh, in a message of hope to begin with, that, that you don't have to sit with this powerlessness, this hopelessness that actually when we start to think about whether it is a strategy for staying or an exit strategy that there are things you can do so let's let's think about that i want to i want to ask you about the, you know the pros and cons of staying versus leaving but i also want to ask about who's the most vulnerable person when they enter a toxic environment you know the obviously the high striving people i work with have a very high pressurized toxic environment within them too you know actually self-criticism high standards beating themselves up for mistakes etc but in your work what, what do you see who's the most vulnerable for experiencing burnout in these toxic environments great question and I don't know if I've got a true answer for you because I think it impacts people in different ways and it impacts personalities in different ways but I think that As you go along and the more senior they are, the more experience you have. And I think often that's extremely challenging. But I think any toxic workplace is difficult for people. And the less choices you have, the more difficult it will be. You know, if you have loads of offers and and you have options, it is easier for you to leave. One of the things I had thought that we might discuss today, which is in some ways completely left field, is getting your finances and your money in order. And and this is something that I figured out too late, quite honestly. You know, one of the reasons I felt I, I stayed longer than I should in a less than ideal environment was, you know, the money was quite good. I had a very good setup and it's the classic golden handcuffs. And I didn't feel like I had the choice to leave because I wasn't financially where I wanted to be. So I think that's an important message. And I think that's that's one practical thing that you can do when you're in those situations is look at your finances and see if you can give yourself some space because then you can have more choices. So in direct response to that question, I would say it's more around the most vulnerable person in that situation 
is the one who has least choices. So rather than the rank or career stage, it's the person who feels objectively, subjectively that can be, that they don't have that many options and that limits and that then can provide a lack of hope in that situation. So the person with the least options, the least choices is, in my view, the one that is most vulnerable in those situations. Mm, that's really interesting and fascinating so, because from a clinical point of view, you know, with my background in working with trauma, uh, when I used to work in the NHS, that is often one of the factors we would see in a traumatic response is that subjectively, you know, nobody else can decide what's traumatic to you. Is that when you feel like there is no control, I have no control over the situation and I am out of options and I'm trapped, I'm stuck and I have no choice. This is one of the big things we might see in birth trauma, for instance. I have no power or influence over my situation. I feel out of control and that can then be felt and experienced as a, a traumatic experience. So no wonder then, uh, if we're bringing a bit of compassion to this, no wonder then that if you are in a situation in a corporate setting where you feel utterly trapped, you can't feel like you can't leave and you can't stay, then no wonder then that this feels very stressful for you. Absolutely. It can be extremely stressful. And that left unattended or unmanaged can lead to, you know, a buildup of anxiety. It can lead to burnout. And, and you're very familiar with this. And I work in this area as well. You know, this piece of burnout and not just singular burnout, you know, repeated burnout. And I think getting to that place where we've got strategies in terms of how to kind of manage those things, because something that I call career injuries, if you will, you can have burnout and have come back and you, you kind of pat yourself on the back and go, great, now look at me, I'm back on track, yay. But if you find yourself in that cycle again, that does something to your confidence because you're thinking, oh, now you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with me? This is happening again. What lesson did I not learn? Yeah, there's something odd going on here. And it can really take from us in that scenario. So getting strategies to cope with the situation. So you look out for the red flags and you put in your boundaries, you know, you manage the situation in a way that your job or whatever you're dealing with becomes sustainable. It's normal in work, you know, you have busy periods, you have quieter period, but you cannot sustain full on 100% all the time. It just doesn't work. So if you're looking for longevity in your career and hopefully with some meaning in there as well, you've got to have strategies that are about being sustainable that so you don't get burnt out. So you can manage your mental health. And mental health is just, it, I, I feel there's maybe still some mystery around that. But mental health to me is just about feeling you can do stuff. Um, still things being hard, still knowing you can you know, you need courage to do certain things and that some things, you know, maybe will take some time. But it's the feeling that you can go ahead and do stuff, the feeling that you have a shot at it and that just the possibility and the little bit of hope in there. And of course, that's not a, a technical definition. That's definitely a Fiona version of it. But I think in order to move forward in any way, you need to feel like you can do stuff even if it's hard and if you persevere, you can get there. And I think when you're so depleted, 
it's so difficult to come back from that. You need some wins. And you talked about fun at the start. I'm a big believer in fun. I think that's often the first thing to go. For me personally, when I go full tilt, bad full tilt, when I go full tilt in work, I cut out all the fun stuff. I cut all my hobbies. I cut out the extra. I cut out everything. And I am 100% focused on this role because it's I'm up for it. I'm on for it. I want to do well. And, you know, I put everything into it. And that's okay for a while. Then your world gets very small and you become much more depleted. And you need to add some fun back into your life. You, you need to kind of shake yourself out of it, be able to see there's another aspect of it. And I firmly put fun up there as a way back and as a way to kind of manage this and see things a bit differently. So there's two sides there. One is what you actually do at work, which might be related to boundaries and setting your sustainable pace. And I want to hear more about boundaries in a minute. And the second part is what you do outside of work, um, adding some more fun in so that you reduce the risk that you just put all your eggs in the work basket and you've got nothing left for yourself. So we know that that there's no um, surprise that that kind of quote of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in, in The Shining because if, if you've grown up with that like I did and you see Jack Nicholson going absolutely apeshit with, um, with an axe. So we don't want to do that, actually. We're thinking about jokes aside. Actually, when we have kind of a distribution of worth and value to us that isn't just about work, we become a fuller human being. So let's think about that a bit more, what we do at work and what we do outside of work. And then... Then let's come back to the boundaries as well. What, what can we do at work to influence and impact our situation if we feel we're close to burnout or we're in a toxic environment? Yeah, and um, I will respond to those, but I would like to say something that, you know, we are ourselves in work and out of work. And often how we are in work is to do with how we're socialized. And often for women in particular, People will come to senior leaders, directors, and so on, the partners with problems. And what I see is these individuals who are who are, are very happy about that because they know it's important for their team and their employees to, to have that outlet. But often they don't have that outlet, is one thing. But the other thing is that often what that means is that they take on somebody else's workload. So that's one thing to look out for in the work environment. If somebody comes to you with problems and you have the capacity to listen and, and you know, you're not overstretching yourself and that might be something to check also, but have help them figure out how to figure it out. You know, dig out the very good coaching questions to help them work through it instead of, oh, you're having trouble with that. Well, I'll give you a hand and step in and do it. And then you've just added to your workload. The other person feels fine, but you've just added to your workload. So if that's you, and that's quite common, that's much bigger than maybe is talked about, quite honestly. So that's one thing to do. But the other thing, and it's somewhat aligned with that, is be a little bit less nice. <laughs> so maybe this is controversial. Maybe it's not. But I often think that we can be too nice and it's good to be a nice person. I'm not saying, you know, be horrible, you know, be 
whatever. Um, but we can be too nice in work. We can do more than we need to. And sometimes it is better to push back. Like t- take the example, if you if you ever had an interaction, um, a difficult interaction, and you are trying to be the super, super duper nice person and you're, you know, offering them extra coffee and can I get you a biscuit with that? And they're getting meaner and meaner and meaner and meaner. I mean, it's, it's, mm. that's a very exaggerated scenario. But what's not exaggerated is that people will respond to our over niceness. And often that's us doing a little bit more than we should. So maybe we need to have a think about that. And I, th- I think they're very good starting points. But the, the real winner is for us to step back and be strategic got to step back and this is hard because we're so busy you got to step back and look at what's going on around you what exactly is important what really needs your attention so if you make sure the newsletter goes out and you might be a senior director and you you might say that's the marketing person yeah but often that might actually land on your plate well if the newsletter doesn't go out this month hmm, is that really the biggest deal Now, it might be, but it might not. And so it's looking at what strategically can you do and pick that out. It's also looking at the people around you. Who are the the persons and people to align with? You know, who are the people that you can help and they can help? Who can support you in the boardroom or in the meetings as well? And call that out. And I think, but you have to do this strategically. Some people can do it intuitively and that's your kind of classic brown nose or they know, you know, who to flatter and all of that. And and it's not coming from that perspective, but it is about being strategic, looking around you. So who do I need to help? Who are the key stakeholders that are important for me to impress or align or work with or, or showcase what I'm doing in the business? And the other is the actual role itself. But I think even beyond that, it's also thinking about strategically, and this is a bit big, but, you know, what do you want for your life? Now, that's a very big question and a hard to tackle Mm. when you're in in the situation. But ultimately, that is the driver. Who do you want to be and where do you want to go with this? What's going to be a priority for you? And I appreciate when you're down in the midst of it all and you're dealing with difficult situations, it's hard to go there. But I would say, Start with the smaller stuff to begin with and then work to the the bigger pieces if that's all you can do. Just work to make today a little bit better. Try to make tomorrow a little bit better for you. And you know what? Quick, quick, quick tip. Write this down. Put it in your phone. Schedule an hour in your calendar on Friday afternoon at two o'clock for a meeting with yourself crazy idea not really okay (laughs) but do it because you know other people can see the hour in your calendar and maybe you won't spend the hour maybe you'll only spend 15 minutes but it will be 15 minutes maybe you can use to get some space and give some thought to things Mm. and that's so powerful because if you're in a position where you are needing to be conjuring up solutions uh solve problems innovate that level of high level decision strategic thinking you cannot do that your brain cannot 
have capacity for that if you're constantly working yourself to the bone and you're overwhelmed and frazzled. We know that from the brain. We know that that is not, you're gonna, not going to engage your frontal lobes if you are hijacked by your amygdala, the emotional centers of the brain. So we're not gonna, you're not going to be able to function best. So for anyone sort of watching this, listening to this and think, oh, that sounds really lofty. You know, let's, I can't really do these things. I get pushed back. If I, if I would earmark an hour in my diary, I'd get fired. Or if I don't deliver this thing, I'd get fired. So how do we tease out whether these things are real fears? Because we are working in a really toxic environment where you, where it is one strike and you're out versus this is a, a perception and a fear that you have because you really want to please or you really want to be good enough and you're trying to impress. And we have that sense of I'm going above and beyond, not where it might really matter strategically, but going above and beyond on everything because I just I can only do 120%. So how do we figure that out, whether there is a real implication, a real risk if we set a boundary versus it is my perception? Can we think about that together, do you think? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, my view on that is you need to look for evidence of that. Like when we think about imposter syndrome, imposter experience, it's it's somewhat linked, you know, this feeling that I'm not good enough or a feeling in a situation that I have to go above and beyond or I'll be fired. Um, My personal view on this is that I've may have felt that way but I think I always knew it wasn't going to be I was going to be fired for something um and I'm not disputing that that could be a real thing for for somebody my view is if you really think you're going to be fired for one thing you need to be out there exploring other options now um, and not wait till you're in the position that's my genuine uh, piece on it but back to establishing whether it's real or imagined Uh, and those are those are just my words on it and that is you have to look at the evidence what evidence are you you know making that on did somebody else in the business get fired when the first thing they did went wrong look out for other flags in the business look for places where you can do slightly less and you know what are the repercussions for that You know, for the big meetings and the big clients, yeah, you want to put in 110%. I'm just saying that in some situations, you do have to go over the top. um, And that's right. Um, But in every situation, I don't think you need to. And my view is look to the evidence. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well, Michaela, as to how you would help somebody establish one or the other. Yeah, I I think it's a really good... um good example there of you know how real is this risk and if that risk is really real because I I've been collecting stories over the years of how people have worked under bosses who would literally shout down the phone and say you know you've messed up there's one thing you've fired and it was definitely it was a real risk um and obviously you don't want to get into sort of the the legalities of unlawful dismissals and things like that because that's not my forte but I guess if you constantly feel that this is a real risk and you're hearing it collectively from everyone else in the team, I think that there is no way to protect your self-esteem and your self-worth as long as you are in that toxic environment. It's like saying this phrase that really irks me, which is, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. 
Uh, I really struggle with that because it's such a victim blaming statement. It's such a gaslighting way of of talking about resilience. So it's you. You are the problem. You as an individual can't cope with this uh, pressure, or you know, you're not you're not responsive enough, or whatever the the terms might be that you see on some of the job applications that you know you're looking for someone who's energetic, uh, driven, etc. So we don't want to be using resilience as another shit stick to beat yourself with. So if you are feeling that this is collectively the felt sense that one mistake, one strike and you're out, that is not an environment you can ever thrive in. I, I firmly believe that. And that's why I don't do corporate talks on perfectionism environments where the HR director has told me exactly that because I've had clarity calls with companies like that. And I said, I I cannot come in and work here because I, I cannot come in and teach you compassion and how to let go of perfect when you are going to fire your staff for one mistake. I cannot teach them to be <laughs> embracing imperfections because you don't. So that's my take on that of how if you are that convinced and you have found the evidence, all of your coworkers are saying the same stories, you've seen other people experience the guillotine like that, then yes, that is when we look at other options. That's where I talk about two words, exit strategy, where it's really important for you to think about that strategically. Maybe it is that you need to have a financial plan of how long you stay in the company before you get out. But it's also thinking about how long can you afford to stay? Because if you go into burnout, that's very expensive. Absolutely. I think it's complicated. And in that scenario where you've established it's not just you saying I must or you know they'll fire me in a throwaway comment when it is real when that's the reality you're living in all I think you can do in that situation is try and mind yourself as much as possible and what I mean by that is look after and write down what is going on and I've personally found this hugely beneficial you know, in an environment or, you know, someplace perhaps where, you know, you're being gaslighted, lit, um, whatever the correct term is for that. But, you know, I found that hugely beneficial to write things down. Now, that's, you know, people would say tell you to do that because in case you sue them and things like that. But that in itself takes a lot of energy. But just for yourself, the value of writing down. He told me to do this on Wednesday. On Friday, he came back and said, the complete opposite and you know you can feel like you're going a bit mad in those situations you're like am I going crazy did he did, did he didn't he just say that the other thing and now he's coming back and saying something else like that's the reality of the corporate world but even just the fact of writing down or recording it or whatever works for you writing things down works for me journaling so when I'm in that situation what I found wonderfully useful is write down this happened, then that happened, and I said this, and and so on, because and it just helped protect me in that difficult situation. So I was happy. It was terrible. It, it didn't necessarily improve the situation, other than I didn't feel like I was going bonkers as well as everything else. So in that situation, it's those things that you need to be really mindful of, and it's all the other basic stuff. If you can, it is trying to go out and get your walk around the block and trying to get your water in, which is stuff I don't always do either. And I'm not saying that, but it's a bit back to basics and try and mind what you can mind. You're in a real um, 
you know, it's kind of this mode where you're you're kind of going into your shell, so to speak, and you just have to mind yourself as much as you can. And it might be limited and it might not be ideal and it might not always work, but you need to do what you can to manage yourself in that situation because then you will be in a place where you can come back from that. I mean, I know from my own clients, those environments are so damaging to confidence, career confidence, like they shake everything and really make people distrust themselves despite loads of evidence to the contrary. So this is, you gotta look after yourself and do that however you can in the moment and not be given out to yourself if you didn't get the walk in or you didn't get the water or you didn't do whatever. Just try and be sort of okay where you are and do what you can in that moment and know there is a way out. But stay where you are in the moment. Don't think too far ahead. Um, and the reason I'm saying don't think too far ahead is one one challenge that I found was that once I had made an exit plan, I actually found it harder to be there because I was, yeah. you know, I was thinking about that and it almost made it harder to stay there. But just kind of staying in the moment, do what you can do where you are and bide your time until you can make the exit. Mm. So just making sure you check your mind when it time travels a bit. So if you've made a plan and you put systems in place for leaving, then it's putting one foot in front of the other one day at a time. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it does sound a bit like damage control. That if you're in that environment and you know the house is on fire, what can you do to um, use some extinguishers as you go along? But eventually you kind of have to leave the building. Absolutely. And I think damage control is a good way of looking at it. But you're talking about damage to yourself. This is a dangerous mm. situation to be in for you personally, you know, even if nobody's shouting at you. And if they are, that's obviously horrible. But it's a dangerous situation personally to be in. And yeah, you've got to try put on whatever armor you have. If you can only cover your arms and your face, that's what you have to do. You have to use what you have in the moment to manage that. Mm. it's a horrible way to think of it though thinking I'll go to work which is you know most of my waking time and I have to suit up um in you know in an armor to be protected from this hostility and toxicity and to not get you know burns uh to get burn damaged um and that's a horrible way to think of it but it's also when you start to write that out if you start to journal it uh, like that then it becomes also more of a validation of your emotional experience that no wonder that I feel completely spent at the end of the work week because I've been carrying around this suit of armor all week I've been sort of like right hazmat suit on I'm going to work um where other people might come home and be like I had such a great day at work today I did x y and z there might also be that sense of envy and looking at other people's situations. And they feel like, but I can't talk about it because everyone sees this high salary. This is something I definitely get from, from the highest drivers I've supported in the past. They're like, I make a million pound a year or half a million or whatever. I don't have any right to complain. It's almost that toxic gratitude. I should be so grateful. I have so much. What have I got to complain for? You know, I've got friends who barely make ends meet and here I am sitting in luxury but that is also a really way of 
self-gaslighting, I suppose, invalidating your emotional experience simply because you get a shed load of money. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a, it's an interesting one. And I hear that a lot as well. But I also think, this is a bit mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because you know what? You feel that way. And that's another way of making you stay someplace that is not right for you. And I think it comes down to fundamentally fear um, and, and, and feeling like you're trapped there. And that's just the most horrible place to be. And I feel that and, and I do understand it. But there is there's more out there for you. There are other opportunities out there. And often you look back and you think, my goodness, for me, you know, if I look at regrets, is why why didn't you leave sooner? And it's it's hard to believe that in the moment. And I want to say this as well. Yes, we're talking about difficult, challenging, perhaps toxic working environments. And that's horrible and it's very difficult. And I know that's the topic of this conversation. But there are great places to work also out there. There are places where negotiations are just conversations where both people want to win and move forward. And people just want to do great work and do work with meaning. Those are out there. I think in when you're in a difficult workplace, it's much more difficult to see that and believe that and think that we should put up with less than. Well, my view is you're worth more than that. You're, you are enough and you're worth more. You are worth being in a great company, doing great work with great people and being treated properly and being in a place where you can do the good stuff. It's really that simple. You are worth more. Mm. And if you don't feel that you are worth more or you, if you even have a deep-seated deep seated fear that you are worthless, then no wonder that it's really hard to vote with your feet when you're in a toxic environment where you've been treated badly. I guess there's a lot of similarities between that and a toxic relationship where you might struggle to ask for your needs to be met or when you set a boundary... Um, you're being attacked or abused for it. So we used that word boundary before. And I guess if you have this deep-seated feeling, a felt sense that it is not safe for me to set this boundary, it is not safe for me to push back and say, I can't take on another project or I am, I cannot go to this meeting or I'm too full up. If you know that it's not safe to do so in your workplace, that to me is a sign that it's toxic, that it's an abusive in some way or another, much like, if you didn't feel it was safe to set that boundary with your partner, you say, I don't want to go to this thing or whatever boundary you set. I That to me is a real um, warning sign and alarm bells go off in my mind. It's like, I can't set a boundary. So is it that you can't because you are out of practice or you have never done this and you don't know how to and you need to practice self-compassion there? You need to develop your sense of worth or is it that you can't because the environment would just not treat you well if you did I think it can be both genuinely I think often we are not the best at setting boundaries and just saying no I remember earlier on in my career just starting out and one of the things we had to do as juniors in this organization it was a long time ago was to cover reception at lunch break every so often and none of us liked doing it and there was one person there, Steph, and she just said, no, 
And there was always this kind of underlying, oh, you can't say no. But she said no. And she never had to do it. And I know that was a different stage in our career. But I remember just admiring her because she said no. I never said no. Now, the truth of the matter is, I think over years, you know, a couple of years in that place, I think I might have had to do it once. So it was an overinflated thing. But I think somebody setting out their boundaries, I'm just not doing it. Now, there's an argument there. If we all said we weren't doing it, you know, you know, that would have been problematic. But I think we can set out boundaries and say, I'm not doing that. And you can have clever ways of saying you're not doing it. Let's be clear. It doesn't have to be, no, I'm not doing it. You can be smarter about it than that. And I also believe that there are situations where you cannot set that boundaries because, you know, if you do, you know, that's the death knell for you. But you also have to think around that particular scenario because every new project you take on, you are going to be less good at delivering for those because you can't, unless you've figured out how to clone yourself. And if you have, please let me know. I'll invest in the business. Um, there is just one of you and, and you can't do everything. And that's where people hit it. You know, you have to hit it. And how many times have you heard somebody say they left a business and they replaced you with three people? I've heard that a lot when, when people leave, mm-hmm. you know, they need multiples of people. And yes, the company is very silly. They didn't realize it while you were there. But I think there's there's a piece where you have to you have to speak up and then that has to be done. And then there's a place where you can't speak up and they, they perhaps won't listen. And again, then that's time for you to look seriously at moving elsewhere. And this is not the answer I understand that people want to hear. People mostly want to stay where they are and transform the people and environment. And sometimes that's possible, but it's in the minority. So that's a real reality check, isn't it? That it's in the minority, that maybe sometimes we're fighting against something rather than surrendering into it and accepting it. And acceptance is not a passive liking. I don't have to like it. I don't have to get behind it. But I have to accept that it is what it is, that it is unlikely. I use this quote all the time. The, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So if you are going to try to experiment with setting boundaries or say no to things and you get the same results, if you push back and say, and I have too much work, or if you push back saying, I need more staff to be hired to do this work together with me and you get no back and it constantly, there is no dialogue, there is no negotiation, it is just no, do what you're told kind of thing. I guess that's a surrender into that this will never be what I want it to be. Much like that relationship, this person will not change and this relationship will never meet my needs in the way I need it to be met in order to give me a sense of worth. And that sounds to me that that is a way to decide, actually, that's time to leave. Yeah, and and I think that's the case. And I think something that's not talked about terribly much is the loyalty that you can have to a company like this sounds really silly in a way but but i recognize it in myself how much i loved my company but then the company changed and it took me far too long to realize that you know the fit wasn't what it once was and it's akin to a relationship you know it used to be really good and then it went downhill and i just was not seeing 
what was blatantly there. I, I mean, I just wouldn't, couldn't call it what you want. And that's why the updating and, and taking the space and the time to look at the overall situation is worth doing because then you don't stay in a relationship, in an organization that perhaps you once loved. Um, maybe that's not for everybody, but if you've been in an organization for a very long time, there is a possibility that there was a point where it was really, really brilliant. For me, I used to annoy my friends by telling them how great my job was until I got to the point where I was saying very far from that. So I think that's a piece within there. We become emotionally attached to a company. I know that sounds a bit, but I, but I, but I certainly see that in me. And, and others as well, we become loyal. We really care. We want the organization to do so well. We want to put the effort in. We want to go the extra mile. But when it's no longer serving us and the situation is not going to improve, you know, it's not just a blip in the situation and so on, then we have to make those tough choices. But in order to do that, we have to see it, first of all. And I think that's part of the piece of stepping back and looking and then seeing, and then you can choose what to do for for good or ill. That's up to you. Mm, so we first need to pause for a bit, have the awareness piece. How is this making me feel? How is it affecting and you know impacting my sense of worth, my self esteem, my energy levels? You mentioned the word depleted, which I think is a, a a good key. And we're not talking about you know I've done this one stretchy project. I'm a bit tired. We're talking about this is consistently the case this is the flavor not of the month but of the year this is how it is and I can't do much to change it and regardless of me setting boundaries or speaking up or requesting it is not changing that to me is an environment where you need to leave and I'm I'm glad to hear that you kind of spell that out as that's probably a minority case where people are able to change it because I was wondering that after the conversations I've been having with my group coaching program as well burn bright of when is the corporate pressure possible to to shift or change versus actually the only way to get that corporate pressure off me is to step away from it. Um, so just to summarize, it sounds like sometimes it is possible. There are things you can do for damage controls, things you can do for self-care, things you can do to set boundaries and request. But if it yet doesn't change, then the door is open to go and it need to try to maybe open the door to make it possible for you to leave. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I would add this point. In the organization, are people open and listening to what you're saying? Number one. And then secondly, are they taking some action? So it can be the case that you would be in a situation where you're saying, we need more people. And people are saying, yes, we do need more people. But however, we can't get more people or we can't get the right people or we don't have the money to hire new people. Like, let's get real here. Businesses have real bottom line money challenges in some situations. So, so you have to realize that. But you want to know that you're getting heard in the organization and the challenges are being understood. If that is not there, oh, forgive me, sayonara suckers, please do not wait in that situation. It is not changing. 
But you can, of course, have that situation where people are nodding and going, yes, yes, you're right. And then take no action on it. Yes, you do need more people and we'll definitely look into that. But three months later, six months later, you're in the same boat and they haven't done it. And it's not because they have no money and it's not because they can't hire the people. It's all of those things. So those are things to distinguish the situation. And it also has to be, it has to get beyond your your direct line manager as well. You know, are the people at board level, or do they understand that this is going on? And is this a priority for them? If you're reporting into the board, or you're at that level, you will know that. But it's it's the, are you being listened? And is there some action or commitment as a result of that? And I think those are things to really look out for in the situation when you're wondering, you know, should I stay or should I go now? <laughs> you know, that those are concrete mm. things and you can check that yourself. Look for evidence in all of the things. So so try and get away from, I mean, feelings are absolutely fine, but look for the evidence. What backs up what you said? Because that allows you when you get into that difficult state yourself, when you know you're not maybe in the strongest place, what's the evidence? And if it's there, then you can feel a bit more comfort that what you're feeling and the reality, the facts are matching up. And I think that's important, very, very important that you've got that in that situation too. And I think that's where it's helpful to consider that the best predictor to future behavior is past behavior. So if there's a precedent there that you've seen someone else who's gone off on sick leave or experienced mental health issues or flagged up that their workload is too high and they were near burnout, watch that and take stock on how that has been handled. Because if that's been, if you see several cases of that being handled badly, what's to say that it would be any different if you flagged that you needed help? Whereas if you've seen people respond compassionately to that, then there might be that actually there is a piece of work there for you to do, which is about finding the courage to say, I need help. I've had enough. I'm struggling. If you then have had a precedent that the leaders, um, you know, the C-suite, whatever, have responded compassionately to that, then it might be that it's about your internal pressure where you feel too much of a failure if you would flag that you're not coping. So I, I always find that it's sort of, well, past behavior it's a really good predictor for future behavior how will they behave towards you if you've seen them fire people or not promote people because of these reasons then that to me is again also really um really an interesting factor to to weigh in but it's also as you were talking about when is it toxic or abusive when when do we when do we vote with our feet and leave it's again the analogy of the relationship Sometimes people don't mean to be abusive or having a negative impact on their partner. And sometimes the other partner is the victim of that. Think, well, they don't mean to, they don't know any better, but the impact on you is all the same abusive. The impact on you is still that your self-esteem or self-worth is being corroded away or eroded away. So that, I guess, thinking about that as well, it might be that you have a well-meaning workplace they just don't, there is no money and they are aware that there's workers are struggling and you've highlighted this and they say yeah we will hire more but it's just not working out and you've given them the grace period that this has been going on for months because often when I hear about this it's not like oh we've had a tough week is we're talking months if not years if you've given them that grace period you still need to vote with your feet because the impact on you is all the same damaging does that 
Is that something you resonate with as well? Yeah, I think so. I think ultimately you do need to look after yourself. And I think that's always the case because in that scenario, you are going to burn out eventually and then you will not be there and and you will be lost. And then you won't, you, you, there may also be shame around accepting that situation and so on. So the longer term impact on you has to be there. And it sounds self-serving, but it's the it's the airplane analogy. You need to put your own uh, mask on first, you know, w- when the oxygen goes, because if you don't, who exactly can you help? That's nobody. And it's so important mm. for you, your family, your friends and even the organization that they have good people in the organization. And whether that's you or somebody who comes after you, well, so, so be it. But you need to look after yourself because you no doubt are minimizing the impact that the situation is having on you. And you often can't see it in the moment. It's when you look back and realize the true impact that the situation is having on you. You know, you feel it in your body, you realize it in your brain afterwards, it really drags you down. And that's not something you want for yourself. I'm a big believer in you know, creating more women leaders. And that's something that really drives me because I've just seen too many great women, you know, get depleted by organizations, by situations and so on, knowing that amazing, fabulous women are not getting the opportunities. They're not being able to take them. And sometimes that's because we accept less than situations. So don't do that. Consider what would be right for a friend or a daughter, or your parent, or somebody else? Like, should somebody else accept this situation? And if you think they shouldn't, then why not you two? Why not get the best for yourself Mm. as well? Because that's the thing that will ultimately deliver the best results for you and those around you. Mm. Absolutely. And that's a great way of of easing your way into self-compassion as well. If I can't consider it for me, hold in mind how I would want someone who I care about to fare in this workplace. If I don't want them to be working 14 hour days and be shouted at by by their boss, why am I accepting that for myself? That is again, coming back to the sense of worth that I don't think I deserve anything better. I'm I'm aware of of your time and you've given so much value. I just have one more question, which is probably the biggest question today. So save it to the end. And feel free to speculate and let people know that you speculate. Um, but do you think that the winds are turning when it comes to corporate workplaces? Or are we just thinking that this is what corporate looks like? Um, I'm having that feedback from my community, the, the sense of hopelessness again. That, But this is just what the corporate hamster wheel looks like. Do you think workplaces are getting more enlightened are the wheels turning towards less toxicity? What do you think? No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really don't think it's changing. <laughs> and I say that not, not to, to, to take people's hope away from them. I think there are some genuine, wonderful organisations out there. But... Having seen a number of organizations where they have all the right things, you know, written on the conference room wall, but the culture being 
completely different. I think that's such a such a shame. And I think it's always been and will always be about the leadership of the organization and what's important and what is truly the priorities of the organization. There are no doubt great organizations out there, corporate, SME, smaller, you know, the micro ones while you're working for yourself there. I think there are loads of great organizations out there, genuinely are, where people are happy, you know, work really hard, you know, recognize the result. I think there's so many. And I and I work with, you know, leaders in SMEs and corporate. And I see these individuals really wanting the best for their team. I think, yes, and they're working really hard. Join those organizations. But I also witness clients coming to me who are in the midst of horrendous work environments where the expectations are just unbelievable and, you know, should not be permitted. And for me, it all comes down to true leadership. And that for me has not changed. I know research and leadership has expanded and there's all sorts of things out there, but there are a few fundamentals when it comes to leadership. And I think in organizations that press and press, there is still that, you know, old fashioned belief of carrot and stick. And that is just not how people work to the best of their ability and deliver good results to the organization. Sorry. I don't think there has been a change. I think individually we need to look and seek out the right organizations that will work for us. So I guess that's the same as saying again on the relationship analogy that there are still bad boys out there. You just try not to pick them. Try not to date them, even though they are alluring. Sometimes you kind of think, you know what? I have to go for something that feels safe even if that doesn't come with the same bonus scheme or whatever. Maybe I need to go for something where I feel I, I will thrive and I will feel well, even if it doesn't come with the same career prospects. And only you can decide what's most meaningful for you in this one life that we have. Um, well, will you drive that Mercedes that you've got on your drive from the £500,000 a year that you make? So I guess just to round it up, I don't want to leave people with the sense that, oh, this is hopeless. Things aren't changing. We are aware that there are things you are bringing to an environment as well. Things that you bring with you as your own pressures, your own high expectations of yourself, where you are prevented from asking for support and asking for help. We know that for people who come with perfectionism and people pleasing and women are socialized to do this. We are socialized to be nice and to be good girls and to not cause a fuss. So we have that piece that we can do the inner work around. But if we're also aware that, you know what, I'm entering in a conversation here, entering in an organization where they're going to take all of that and swallow it whole. And they're going to not thank me for it. And I used a phrase that someone said the other day, I'm killing myself doing this. I'm like, well, no one's going to thank you for killing yourself. All that's going to happen is that you're killing yourself. And that is your health in this one life affecting all the relationships around you. So if this is a bit of a wake-up call for anyone listening, is that maybe this is your opportunity to think, is this what I want for my one life? Is this costing me more than it's worth, perhaps? So it's sad to hear that you don't think that it's shifting. You're kind of looking at the discussions on LinkedIn and all these mental health champions and the things we're doing to do corporate talks, etc. But 
I keep reminding myself of a conversation I had with a, an investment bank not that many years ago where they wanted me to go in and do a talk on mindfulness. So I asked more about their culture. Uh, and they said, well, you've got a, an on-site yoga teacher. We've got an on-site nurse. Um, you know, they can, we've got a hairdresser and this, that, and the other thing. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, for anyone listening, Fiona's ticking this lovely sort of token um, tick box list here. Right. I said, well, that's great. Okay, so you've put some initiatives in there for self-care. What about your working hours? <laughs> I kind of knew where this was going to go. What does a typical working day look like for your staff? And they said, oh, for the traders, they come in about, they've got flexible working, so they come in at 10 in the morning. I was like, uh-huh, okay. What time do they go home? Two in the morning. And then sometimes they come back again. And then they're kind of, we, we all know about the revolving door, don't we? So then I, I, I wash my hands of this. I cannot do anything to put plasters on that. That is utterly toxic. And final kind of thought is then how do we have a functioning society operating in these corporate settings where work does need to be done? Is the answer that people need to job share more? Is the answer that they need to just care less about getting the targets done? What, what is the answer? Because people keep saying to me, well, but the work needs to be done. And if I don't do it, A, I'll get fired, or B, the work doesn't get done, and then that is part of my role. So I can't quit. I can't not do this for 14 hours a day. What do you think, Fiona? What's going to happen to the world if we keep burning out? And how do we change the corporate environment? Super question. I don't believe it's one thing, and I don't believe I have the answer. I do have some thoughts on it. I think our job should be achievable in a reasonable time frame you know working from 10 o'clock to two o'clock in the morning come on who really thinks that that's you know sustainable I think that's the piece but I would say why can't there be two people doing that role for example um, if you're getting the returns why not hire two people now I know I know there's money and all of that but we're just burning through people in that situation. I don't think there is one answer. I think we need to be more flexible. I do think there should be job sharing. I think, you know, it, the pandemic has taken a lot of people out of the workforce. And, and often people who are towards the end of their career, who don't want to do all the hustle anymore and want to do other things, And what a shame that we have lost that cohort in the market. I think there are multiple things we need to do. I think a job needs to be achievable in a reasonable time frame. We shouldn't have to work double time. I think we need much more flexibility. But I think we need to focus on results. For those traders working 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., really are they working optimally all that time no they're not the research tells us we're not they're just on and they're there and what is the cost to them to the society on that one I mean you you asked that question you know what is the personal cost you know of that role on you and we have to take that into account and you do get to a point it's different for everybody where you just won't put up with that crap and use the the bad s word in there as well so I think it's multiple things I think allow people to work in the way that's optimal for them, taking into account all our talents and skills, 
you know, we're more familiar with things like ADHD at the moment, you know, other kinds, forms of neurodivergence and how we bring those individuals more readily into the workplace. And that just requires, you know, harnessing their skills, their abilities and how they like to work and make the most of it for them, for the organization and so on. We just need to think differently. Why? There is no one size fits all. I'm glad there's no one size fits all. You know, what do women want? What, what do 50 and 60 year olds in the workplace want? Well, they're not a homogenous group, for goodness sake. Let's start having conversations in organizations about what the individuals there would work for them. You're going on maternity leave. What works for you might not work for somebody. Let's start having conversations. People want to contribute, in my opinion. Let's have adult conversations, understanding the work needs to get done. Does it really matter when it gets done? Um, whether one person does it in five minutes or another person takes, you know, half an hour. OK, that does matter a little bit. But I think we can make very reasonable adjustments and have a much better working world. And it just requires a little bit of thought, a little bit of understanding and a little bit of compassion, a little bit of kindness. And we will get so much more productivity out of people, not because that's our goal, but because we care about people. And people who we look after will deliver more for us in the longer run. All the other pieces mm. are short termism. That's all it is. It's short termism. And then, you know, the next person coming through. I think we need better conversations in our organizations to get the outcomes that we all want. Better conversations and less conveyor belts, uh, essentially, is a good good summary of what we want for the leaders of tomorrow. So... Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast again. For anyone who is listening, you can also tune into the previous conversation we had about toxic environments with Fiona Cairns. What is the final takeaway? What's the final permission you want to give someone listening or a pressure you want to take off them? You have permission to be where you are now, even if it's rubbish. Allow yourself to draw a breath and realize you are where you are. But you can get out of it. There are ways out and there is a good future out there for you. And I believe it for you. Even if you don't believe it for you at the moment, I believe it for you. I've been there, got the T-shirt and it's much better the other side. So have hope. It's a really nice way to go full circle to the hope that we had in the beginning. It's possible to come back from this. It is possible for things to shift, but sometimes you have to say, actually, I'm worth more than this. Step away and then move yourself into an environment that does help you thrive and grow. And you get to be ambitious and do the work that you love doing. It doesn't have to mean that you're now working in an environment where people are lazy and it's kind of boring and I don't want it. I'm not invested in the work. You can absolutely still have meaningful work that drives your purpose and your passion. So thank you so much for all your wisdom. And this will be so good for anyone who's considering the corporate pressures. Do I stay or do I leave? Um, and what can I do if I stay? And what can I do if I leave? So thank you so much again. Thanks so much, Michaela. This was fun. If you've listened to the end, then thank you. I'm hoping that you've had some food for thought and that you are really contemplating and considering how you are working. We only have this one life. And the way you've been working 
is driving you towards that wall, is driving you towards that edge where you will fall over because you are human. And if you have enough pressures on you, it will be enough to tip you over the edge. And it's so much harder to come back from burnout. Burnout recovery is a much longer journey than it is to prevent it in the first place by making some wise decisions about how you are working. If you are in an inhumane environment, treat yourself as human and leave. If you need my help in this, remember that I help with both therapy and coaching and we can figure this out together. Reach out to have a free chat with me on info at thethomasconnection.co.uk. Just drop me a note and I'm here to help. And until I see you next time, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically, showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.